0: Today's reading is Micah 3, sorry, in verse 1. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time, because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision, and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood And Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion, shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. And the mountain of the house a wooded height. That's the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray. Father, grateful to be here. Grateful to um, be um, your son, um, secure um, in my standing, in our standing as brothers and sisters in Christ. God, thank you that uh, you have purchased us, that you have brought us in uh, never to abandon us or forsake us. And God, I thank you for... um, Thank you for your living and active and holy word. Thank you for the full counsel of your word that that describes your justice so that we can better understand um, your love and your grace. And Lord, I thank you for the minor prophets. I thank you for Micah. God, I thank you for this book that um, is full of warning and judgment, um, but it's also a reminder to your people um, as to uh, why... Jesus had to come, and so God, I just pray that you would uh, give me, um, uh, just a, a, me, a crackpot. God, just give me the ability, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to proclaim your Word. And I do pray that um, that we'd have ears to hear, God. That we would um, we would allow um, your Spirit to um, both convict us of sin. And to remind us and encourage us um, in our standing in the gospel. And I do pray, God, that the enemy would not um, bring any condemnation to any of you who are here. We love you, and we thank you that you loved us first. And God's people said, amen. Good morning. Good morning. So we are uh, continuing in the book of Micah. Um, if you're new to this here today, we typically teach through a book of the Bible. And uh, we didn't... Um, we didn't choose this book because of the graphic picture of cannibalism. Um, we, we picked this book because it really, um, Micah is speaking to a culture that is very similar to the culture that we live in today, actually. And um, um, uh, the book of Micah, Micah is one of, t- of 12 minor prophets. Uh, he's one of 15 prophets, one of 12 minor prophets. And minor just means that it's a shorter book. And prophets uh, pronounce judgment, actually, um, on on people that are not living um, as God's redeemed people, as God's covenant people. And he also reminds um, God's people of hope. Um, And so my prayer is that this morning we would be reminded of of the Father's wrath that every human being um, deserves to be under. But more importantly, we'd walk away here today being reminded of God's great love, of His um, all-encompassing grace. As a younger man, I like to read a lot of biographies. I like to read books that were in uh, in particular about um, entrepreneurs or um, leaders of countries and communities. And a lot of these leaders of books that I've read or movies that I've seen actually have been inju- or unjust leaders. They were leaders who built their businesses and ruled their countries um, based on injustice. And one of the books I read was was a book called The Art of the Deal. I read it back in the 80s, and it was written by a man who built his companies on injustice on uh, by, through the, the blood and the... Uh, taking advantage of people. Uh, saw a movie called uh, The Founder, Ray Kroc. Some of you know that. that Ray Kroc was uh, a man that uh, got all the credit for the McDonald's franchises. And if you look at, if you watch that movie, you'd see that he actually stole it. Um, that he, he built that company on the backs of, of, uh, of the, the blood of people, actually. Steve Jobs is another one. Um, Steve Jobs uh, was an innovative man. Um, I'm a Mac user. I'm thankful for Steve Jobs and the, and the, uh, the way the Lord made him, uh, but he was a tyrant in many ways. He was a guy that created, uh, that, that operated with injustice. In 1826, Davy Crockett was elected to the first of three non-consecutive terms in the U.S. House of Representatives. And while he quickly gained fame for his relaxed personality and his advocacy for the poor, his straightforwardness also won him his share of political enemies. In 1830, he alienated many of his constituents with his fierce opposition to President Andrew Jackson's Indian Removal Act. If you know anything about the Indian Removal Act, this law authorized the president to negotiate with the Southern Native American tribes for their removal to the federal territory west of the Mississippi River in exchange for their land. This act was signed by President Jackson, and it was in force under his administration. This act also enjoyed the support of many people who lived in the South, of course. They would benefit. As the Native Americans were booted out to the western side of the Mississippi, people in the South would actually be able to inherit their land. At the same time, there was a lot of resistance from the Indian tribes, obviously, from the Whig Party and from the Northeast, particularly people in New England. The Native Americans worked together to stop this relocation. However, they were unsuccessful in their attempt to keep their land, and they were eventually forcibly removed by the United States government in a march to the west that later became known as the Trail of Tears. Crockett's feud with President Jackson would eventually play a key role in his final election, in Crockett's final election in 1835. Unlike the leaders in Micah's day, and like a lot of the leaders in our day, Crockett was a principled man who exercised justice without partiality. And I want you to remember that because we're, not, we're going to talk a lot about justice without partiality. And you can't talk about justice without talking about uh, not being partial. Despite the political differences of Crockett and Andrew Jackson, Davy Crockett came famously to, to Jackson's aid during an assassination attempt in 1835. On January 30th, the two men were part of a crowd of lawmakers leaving the U.S. Capitol after a funeral. As Jackson passed near the east portico, a crazed gunman emerged from the crowd of spectators and shot at him with two pistols. Both of them misfired. Crockett, meanwhile, was one of several bystanders who disarmed the would-be assassin and wrestled him to the ground. You see, Davy Crockett, the little that I know about him, seemed to be a principled man who operated with with um, with impartial justice. And he did it with the Native Americans. He risked his office as a legislature to stand up for what he believed was right, and that was for the rights of the oppressed. And at the same time, the very one that stood against him, President Jackson, um, he 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 showed impartial justice towards Jackson in trying to save his life. The leaders of Israel that Micah was calling out were nothing like Davy Crockett. They were men who would uh, make decisions and try cases and cast a vote based on how it affected their world without any regard to the plight of others, particularly the plight of the oppressed and the poor. These leaders would use people for their progress. The book of Micah is a bold pronouncement against the sin of the leaders of the southern kingdom. And the primary sin, if you remember in chapter 1, the primary sin that Micah called out was the sin of idolatry. And then last year we saw that idolatry always leads to covetousness. Covetousness, I can't see that word. I'm going to look at covetousness. It's not that hard. What's an idol? An idol is anything or anyone who we look to for ultimate satisfaction, peace, identity, or worth. An idol or idolatry is when we look to anything or anyone for ultimate satisfaction, comfort, identity, or worth. Idolatry will always lead to covetousness. covetousness. And what covetousness is, it's a greedy desire for more. When a person covets, what we do is we allow the desire for that which is coveted to govern our relationship with other people. We start to see people as pawns or objects to get what we want to progress our idolatry. Idolatry leads to covetousness and covetousness covetousness leads to injustice. So today Micah turns his attention to the unjust leaders of the southern kingdom of Israel. It is a case for God's word always It's written for a particular audience in a particular time and place. But it's timeless. That God's Word is living and active, and it's for us today. And my prayer is, is that we would each have ears to hear. That we would allow God's uh, Spirit to convict us where we need convicting, and to encourage us where we need encouraging. I also... I've been reminded that this letter, really this third chapter in particular, is written to the leaders of Israel, particularly the southern kingdom. I've been reminded that we're all leaders. At some level, we're leaders in the home, over our kids, in our schools, in our community. We're all leaders. We're husbands. We're parents. We're disciplers. And so there's something for us here today. God rebukes the spiritual leaders of the land, and interestingly enough, He does not rebuke the unbelievers. He does not rebuke the pagans. He's rebuking the religious leaders of the day. And I think there's something for us in this. Because whatever whatever injustice you might see um, in the government at any level or in companies at any level, in our culture at any level, is my fault and it's your fault. It's the fault of the church. In the same way that the government doesn't um, um, legislate morality, they can't, it's impossible. In the same way, they don't become corrupt on their own. It's because the church has lost its way. The church is no longer standing in the gospel of Jesus Christ and treating people with impartial justice. So my prayer is that we look at ourselves in this passage. Verse 1, Micah says, And I said, hear you, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? Or the Hebrew word mishfet. Micah's calling out the judges, he's calling out the priests, he's calling out the prophets of the day, he's calling out the religious and civic leaders in the 8th century before Christ. These leaders operated very much like a justice of the peace or a district judge where they would administer justice and bring about reconciliation to parties that were having a dispute. They would meet at the city gate and settle their disputes and make official decisions. And Micah asks these leaders, is it not for you to know justice? Is it not for you to know justice? Should you not embrace justice is the question? No matter what the case is or who the people that are involved in, should they not get a fair hearing? He doesn't, he's, not saying, um, he's not saying to just know justice. He's saying to do justice. And to do justice without exercising impartiality is of no value. It's actually a contradiction of terms. You can't exercise justice without being impartial. The Hebrew word for justice, mishvat, occurs in various forms and over over 200 times in the Old Testament. Its most basic meaning is to treat people equitably, to treat people impartially. It means acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case without impartiality, regardless of race, regardless of social status, regardless of religious beliefs, regardless of haircut, regardless of tattoos, regardless of upbringing, to treat all people impartially. And I would just say, well, how do I know if I am impartial? If I am one that's characterized with impartial justice, And here's a test for you, in your own heart, actually, and and one isn't right and one isn't necessarily wrong. When you hear of Blue Lives Matter and you hear of Black Lives Matter, when you hear that there's a dispute between a policeman and a black man, do you automatically um, take sides with one or the other? If you have a reflex that takes sides, I would say that you don't have the ability to exercise impartial justice. It's actually one of the reasons that that I've registered as an independent. I actually vote one way 98% of the time. But I want to be impartial the best I can. I want to look at the candidates. I want to look at the issues. I don't want to be known as a partial person. Um, I know I'm making you nervous, honey, because I'm way away from my notes. Sorry about that. We'll just stop right there. Um, I want to I bring you to James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Um, one of the best places in Scripture that talks about um, impartiality. Um, verses 1 through 9. My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man is wearing a gold ring and fine clothing, and he comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. You've dishonored, oh, oh, are not the rich ones, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You see, impartiality does not notice ethnicity. It does not notice color. It gives everybody a fair shake. It treats people as they are, are all equal, made in the image of the triune God. But mishpat means more than just punishment of wrongdoing. It certainly means punishment for wrongdoing. It also means giving people their rights, giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care. Justice goes beyond legal fairness and impartiality. There's numerous scriptures, and we're not going to be able to get into it today. I can send you a list of them if you are interested in your private study. There's numerous scriptures that make radical generosity one of the marks of actually living justly. Radical generosity is a mark of impartial justice. Timothy Keller says this. He says, the just person... Not just a person, but the just person lives a life of honesty, equity or, partiality, or impartiality, um, and generosity in every aspect of his or her life. Doing justice means following the rule of law. It means showing impartiality. It means paying what you promised. It means not stealing. It means not swindling. It means not taking bribes and not taking advantage of the weak. And it means being generous towards those, to the, those who are marginalized and oppressed, specifically widows, orphans, poor, refugees. And I dare say we've gotten so far away from this. There should be laws that govern this land. And we should always um, operate, though, however, in the church with compassion, not breaking the laws ever. But our judgment, for example, towards illegal immigrants shouldn't be to build a stinking wall. It's to put some laws in place that will allow people to come in legally and keep them out illegally. That's for other people, not me. But here's what I know, is that we should be, operate with compassion and kindness standing on the law of the land. And sometimes we stand on the law of the land and try to get those people out of here rather than be having a certain level of compassionate. Sorry, not in my notes either. So it doesn't mean just following the rule of law or showing impartiality, paying what you promised, not stealing, not swindling, not taking bribes. It, it involves being generous towards those who are marginalized. Widows, orphans, poor, refugees. But these leaders that Micah is calling out, instead of justice, these leaders um, judge for a bribe. They pander to their constituents. They judge based on what they would best preserve, their position and their progress. Do we make decisions? Do we vote based on our position and our progress? Rather than standing firm on the Word of God. Verse 11, we see that these leaders, the the judges, give judgment for a bribe. It's priests teach for a price. It's prophets practice divination for money. Yeah, I'll do, God, whatever you ask me to do, as long as there's something in it for me. As long as there's something in it for me. Then we go, wow, Micah, you are bold. Like, what gives you the right to say this? How do you have the courage to say this? We look at verse 8. And Micah says, but as for me, I'm filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. He's filled with the power of the Spirit of the Lord. And like all prophets of the Old Testament, they're filled with the Spirit. And like all believers today, we're filled with God's Spirit. That we, like Micah, we're prophets. And and when I say that, a prophet is a proclaimer of truth. And this is the, the only infallible truth. And then we need to stand on it. And we need to preach it to ourselves and to to one another. The power of the Spirit of the Lord. He's also filled with justice. He shows no partiality. He judged rightly. He's filled with might, which is courage. He feared God. He didn't fear man. unlike the evil leaders he's calling out in this letter, he neither feared nor pandered to anyone. He only spoke the truth. At the very heart of justice is to love good, and hate evil. Don't get that confused. Uh, we, we are called to hate evil. We're, we're called to hate evil. And um, Isaiah spoke to this, the, um, who prophesied in the same era that Micah did. He said, "Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness, Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? And then Michael says the same thing in verse 2. You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin off from my people. And he goes down this this, uh, metaphorical cannibalism to describe the way that leaders treat people. You see, these leaders viewed people as spare parts, using them to build their countries, to build their kingdoms, to build their businesses. To cannibalize means to take salvageable parts and use these parts to build or repair another machine. It's taken weak or broken parts to sustain or create something stronger. And that's what they were doing. They could care less about the oppressed as long as they could build their kingdom. Where do we see that today? We see it in business. We see it in politics. We see it in the church. We see it in homes. In our flesh, we all tend to see people through the lens of how they can benefit us rather than how we can serve them. Verse 4, these leaders, these unjust leaders will cry out to the Lord when they are judged, but He will not answer them. He will hide His face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Can I just say this? If you know Jesus Christ, this is not for you. This is not for you, that he will never permanently hide his face from you. Yes, there there are times where um, our sin can um, mess up our relationship with God, but you'll always be his sons and daughters. You'll always be his sons and daughters. But this is for the unjust leaders, those who um, wear the name of Yahweh, but do not live that way. So when they're judged, they will will cry out, and God will hide His face from them at that time. They could not have got worse news. They could not have got worse news because the promise that God told Moses to give to the Israelites was that God would shine His face upon them. And that's a picture of favor. That's a picture of a smiling God looking at them and saying, I am with you. And the judgment that Micah just pronounced on the leaders is that God would hide his face from them. Let me read this blessing back in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is for God's covenant people. This is his promise that he'll never leave them nor forsake them. But he is telling the leaders um, that he's going to check out for a while. And I believe at the end of verse <coughs> verse four is instructive. It's, it doesn't say that the leaders' deeds were evil. they weren't necessarily evil. He says in verse 4, they have made their deeds evil. You see, the, the work of these leaders is not inherently evil. They were probably doing good things for the community. They're probably passing good laws, uh, good amendments. But they made their deeds evil by exploiting others for their own gain, as we saw in verses 2 to 3. It always comes back, sin always comes back to the motives of the heart. Evil is most of the time in our intent, not always in our action. And then verse 5, he says, The Lord says, Concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. Think about that for a minute. First of all, a prophet is one who speaks the word of God, they warn people of coming judgment. And the false prophets that Mike is calling out in verse 5 no longer speak the truth of God's prophetic word. They only utter words that will benefit their position in life. Their primary goal in life is a peaceful life. Big houses, fat bank accounts, plenty of servants, esteem, prestige, and the right candidate in office. And can I say this? There's nothing wrong with a fat bank account. There's nothing wrong with the right candidates in office. There's nothing wrong with big houses. There's nothing wrong with the membership of the country club. Nothing, actually other than if we desire that and get that at any cost on the backs of our families by oppressing family members who'd rather have us at home than having us work 12, 15 hours a day so that we can assure the progress of our idolatry. But when the leader's world gets rocked, When the wrong candidate is put in office, when the Fed tightens, when they miss a promotion, they become hostile. You see, these these leaders have no regard or little regard anyways for those who have little. If we take care of them, if everything goes their way, peace. But But if you mess things up, they cry holy war on you. And I, I, and I talked about this last service, and I'm going to do it again. I don't even know if it's stuck. It's stuck in my head. I'm not sure how to communicate it. Um, but these, these leaders, if they're getting everything they want at the expense of others, they're great. Um, they don't want to rock the boat. But if things don't go their way, um, watch out. And i was just thinking of the example of uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 6, I think. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, that we're all called to be peacemakers. And peacemakers, the, 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 the way I would define peacemaker um, is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I think, where he says, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. And what he's talking about there is reconciliation. If you sinned against somebody, confess it. If somebody sins against you, forgive them. But what he's not saying is peace at any cost. You see, a lot of us are um, true peacekeepers. In other words, when we have sinned against somebody, we don't want to like mess up that relationship by, by acknowledging our sin to them. And if we see sin in somebody else, we don't want to um, um, help them see that sin for risk of not keeping the peace. You see, a false, a true peacekeeper is actually a false peacemaker. And I think these leaders were that way. They really weren't peacekeepers. Um, they, um, they were more interested in peace than they were um, holiness. You know, why have, a, why have a church or a community where we're confessing sin to one another? I mean, that messes things up. You might think less of me, actually. But true peacekeeping is actually false peacemaking. And then in verses 6 through 7, he pronounces judgment on these prophets. And I'm not going to go into great detail there, but, but, um, but these, these prophets who were apparently true prophets at one point started prophesying only prophesying, because prophesying is God's word. They started speaking um, only what would benefit them. In any truth that God gave them to profess that would, would mess up the peacekeeping, they would keep it to themselves. So God basically said that the sun's going to set on you false prophets. Verses 9 and 10, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. There's a sweeping indictment here of all of Jerusalem's, all of Israel's leaders. The heads of the house of Jacob, the rulers of Israel... And once again, we see that these, these uh, men, in this case, are kingdom builders. They're doing great things for the city, I would guess. There are new condominiums going up, um, new restaurants, new parks, new theaters, new, um, new um, water things that go up. In the, there's, there's all kinds of cool things happening. I love this stuff. I love old town Fort Collins. I want Windsor to actually to look something like that. I love Lodo in Denver. It's it's not bad to enjoy those things. But I want you to notice in verse 10 how these were built. They build Zion or Israel with blood, the blood of the people, taking advantage of people. This goes back to the cannibalism, the hypothetical cannibalism. They build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. I was in New Jersey about a year and a half ago preaching at our sister church out there. And I was driving to the boardwalk with Eric Lawyer, the, the pastor there. And, um, and he said, see that neighborhood down there? I go, yeah, that looks like a cool neighborhood. I mean, it was just, it was just happening. I mean, you can see people walking in the streets. You can see um, outdoor patios and all that. And he says, that happened because of gentrification. I go, gentrification? A bunch of old people down there? I didn't even know what that meant. Gentrification actually means that, that you, you, um, you build something new and better for the sake of the wealthy, actually, without giving any consideration to the people that were living there before. And I got to tell you, you go to any cool neighborhood um, that you know of, and pretty much in any city, I got a son in Kansas City, there are so many cool neighborhoods And most of these neighborhoods um, are being built up, and there's nothing wrong with that, but they're with no consideration of the people that are being booted out that are now on the streets or in the projects. And this isn't about socialism. That doesn't work. Communism certainly doesn't work. I love our country. I love the foundation of it. But as we progress, like our country has done now for um, since since uh, 1776, can we progress with compassion? Can we progress with with um, impartial justice? Can we maybe give a little bit off the top as we're building buildings and restaurants and theaters? to help those, whatever that looks like. I don't even, I'm not even saying what that looks like, but we can help those who are being displaced because of our progress. You see, these leaders add new streets and squares in the holy cities. They, they adorn them. They establish and advance the public interest both in church and state, and they think that, therein they, do, that they do God and Israel a good service but they do it with the blood and with the iniquity. And therefore, it can't prosper. Do not confuse prosperity in this country or prosperity in this city because God is blessing us when only 16.5% of the country is in church on a Sunday morning. It's God's favor for some reason, but it has nothing to do with with the righteous way the church is living. (laughs) Verse 11, its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. 11b, yet they lean on the Lord and they say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Just think about that just for a second. These are God's leaders. And they do it only if they're paid. You want to hear a great sermon? Give me more money. You want to hear, um, have somebody pray for you or visit you in the hospital? More money. Yet they lean on the Lord and they say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. They lean on the Lord. Somehow they lean in saying that they trust the Lord for his ongoing provision while ruling with iniquity and justice. That's what's going on in America right now. That's what's going on in the church around the world right now. is that we 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 say we trust we trust you God we sing praises to God on Sunday mornings yet we don't understand that God is calling us to live a certain way not to earn salvation but because of our salvation And this is the deception of many professing Christians today who think they can profess faith in Jesus Christ and then go and live their life as they did before they became a part of God's covenant family. And this is against God's covenant that he laid out in Genesis. We see the the covenant where where God promised that through Abraham would become a people for God's self. And through that people would would come the Messiah. But there was another side to that covenant. There's a responsibility to God's people. And it's laid out in chapter 18 of Genesis, verse 19, Um, For God says this about Abraham. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children, all of his children, the believing remnant of Israel and the Gentiles, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what He has promised him. Now we can rejoice in this passage because Israel blew it. You and I blew it. Last time I looked, um, I don't practice righteousness and justice every day or every minute. I blow it. You blow it. But by God's grace, the true Israelite, the perfect Israelite, came and was born in a manger. And he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live and we can't live today. And he died a horrible death and rose again from the dead so that we can have life and have life abundantly. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And at that ascension, he gave us the promised Holy Spirit, which now gives us the power to live this life. It gives us power to now um, to um, to live our lives to present our lives as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to Him. Not to be saved but as a response to our salvation. You see God's covenant people in the Old Testament and God's New Covenant people, this side of the cross, will have a growing desire to love God and to love people. We'll have a growing understanding of our sinful tendencies. And I know I have talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to talk about it until Jesus comes back. If you know a mature Christian, and there's a bunch of men here, they have a growing awareness of their sin. They have a growing awareness of their sin. And, and that's, not, um, that's not what's preached um, typically. Because, because when we have a growing awareness of our sin, we have a growing understanding, a growing appreciation for the mercies of God. Though our sins are many, His mercy is more. So don't be afraid to face your sin. Don't be afraid People that you're doing life with to tap them on the shoulder. Say, brother, sister, I love you. Can I just bring something to your attention that I've been observing in your life? There's no judgment here. I just love you, and I just want to bring it for your consideration. Be a true peace maker, not a false peace keeper. Then he pronounces this judgment in verse 12, and I'm not going to go into the, to the, uh, into the weeds here. But the last six words I want you to pay attention to, the last seven words, the mountain of the house, a wooded height. It's the starkest of judgments that the temple, the holy of holies, where God resides, will be overgrown with weeds, and that God will progressively start to become silent. Over the coming decades and centuries, from the point of Micah, where when Malachi prophesied, God was radio silent. But God's people then and God's people now can take heart because God's a promise keeper. That He promised that He would send a Messiah. God is just and holy, but as we talked about two weeks ago, He is lopsidedly loving. And He keeps His promises. God's ultimate purpose is not to destroy, but to save and redeem. And we chose this book, actually, as a kind of a pre-Advent series. And you go, wow, what does cannibalism have to do with Advent? But there's nothing like a book that talks about the sinfulness of humanity to remind us of why Jesus had to come. And to remind us that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That those who would believe in Him would not perish, but what? Have eternal life. In Romans 5, 8, and 9, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, we never did clean up our act. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There shall we, therefore, we shall be saved by Him from the wrath of God. And before we go into communion, I want to give you this reminder that we didn't get justice when Jesus came. No, we got grace. Jesus got justice. God exercised his justice on Jesus. Jesus drank the cup of wrath that you and I deserve to drink. I love this. You know what's left for us? The cup of blessing. Sure. Sure. Blessing of stuff and things and family, I love all that. Love it this time of year. But the blessing of salvation, the blessing of Emmanuel, God with us. So I want to just encourage you as we as we jump into communion here. That communion is um, it's an ordinance, um, it's a sacrament, if you will, that Jesus commanded the church to partake in, and here we partake partake once a month. Some churches do it um, once a week, and it's a profound reminder that even though our sin is great, His mercy is more. So come on up, um, grab a cup, grab the bread, go back to your seats, and then um, I'll come up and we'll, we'll partake together. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you. I praise you. You are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. <coughs> Lord Jesus, I thank you and praise you that you who were rich became poor, so that we who were poor might become rich. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but that you emptied yourself of all the rights that you had. And you became obedient, obedient to the point of death, even the horrible death on the cross. And God, I thank you that you did it with each one of us in mind. God, we know that it was our sin that put you there. But God, we know that you came so that you could bring us individually and collectively into your family. So that you could be with us now in the person, uh, third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. That we would be with you forever one day. So yeah, we just bless you and we praise your holy name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and close our service. Amen. Jesus will be known in our culture when we treat people than they deserve rather than giving them what they deserve. And my encouragement is that we would lean in towards compassion, kindness, grace, and hospitality. Let me just send you out with this from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. Why? That your way, O God, may be known on all the earth. your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity or impartiality and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And God's people said, amen. Have a great Sunday.